I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Is everybody good? Yeah. Happy birthday, Shiloh. If y'all get a chance, wish him a happy birthday. He came to church on his birthday. Some people don't. <laughs> it's like my birthday. I'm not going to church. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I want to get started this morning. There's, there's so much on my heart, but oh man, how many of you guys understand we're in a war? Like when I say that, you might agree, but when Monday comes around, you, f you more feel like a punching bag than anything else. We forget the reality that it's a war. We forget life is, a, is, is about a conflict. Um, yet a conflict that maintains peace. Hmm. I encourage you guys, if you haven't um, done so, to really go back. We have um, podcasts. I think they're on almost every platform. Eric does that for us. And you can just search Proclaiming Jesus and go back into listening um, to the Sonship series and the Mind Renewal series. If you haven't done that, then the series that we're on right now might not mean as much to you because God doesn't do anything randomly. He builds his kingdom with precision. Church is not a string of events where you come on a Sunday to hear some random sermon that's going to help give you a little pick-me-up to finish your week off so you can get to the next one. God has an agenda, and we are rapidly moving towards that agenda. Whether we facilitate that agenda or hinder that agenda depends upon us, and it doesn't depend upon your version of theology. You with me? I don't know where the American church got the idea that if she has the correct theology that everything else is fine in her life. Just because you believe something that's accurate does not mean you are the accuracy that you are presenting. Character and power is what the kingdom of God is represented in. Not idealism, not theology, not your, our hermeneutical approach to life or the scriptures. Those things can lull you into a false sense of reality. Thinking that you believe a certain way can actually deceive you when you're living opposite to what you say you believe. That is the epitome of self-deception, is living a opposition to what you say you believe. Because then you're forced to come up with some sort of justification to make the bridge between the two. And that splits the human mind, and it's what society calls schizophrenia. It's what the Bible calls double-mindedness. You realize that? Yeah. When we live, when we're born for a kingdom we don't live for, we begin to live a fragmented reality. I'm going to say that again. When, when we're born to live for a kingdom, that we, if we're living for a kingdom we're not born for, then we begin to live a fragmented reality. See, when we got born again, no longer were we supposed to begin to live for the things of this world. Period. You understand that? We are supposed to live for the kingdom of God. Period. Your job is not why you exist. If it is, you're confused. 
You understand what I'm saying this morning? The kingdom of God is more than just building buildings. <laughs> In fact, that has very little to do with the kingdom of God. Because <laughs> the buildings we're building are just going to be torn down. <laughs> Jesus is going to destroy all of it. And the only thing that's left standing is the kingdom that's built within us. Your money, I would even say, is not necessarily even a very great tool of the kingdom. You are the greatest tool the kingdom will ever possess. Jesus said the kingdom's within. We have to get this out here. Okay? So we're on a series of the kingdom, right? If you haven't guessed that yet, that's where we're at. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to help you understand some realities of kingdom issues. We went over a couple of them. This is part four in the series of kingdom reality, that the kingdom of heaven would come into the earth. But I want you to understand the power of the kingdom of God. It is so countercultural. It's so much from a different angle of society. It's not even from society. It's from a different element. It's from an element we've never experienced before. Something radically different than anything we can humanly comprehend has invaded our reality. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come just to be inserted as a human to save us from our sins. The act of insertion was an act of war. He came in here to start something that was going to create chaos and peace at the same time. It takes something from a different realm to be able to challenge the realm we're currently in. If we try to use the things of the earth to build the earth and manifest peace in the earth, we will constantly be on a merry-go-round of performance. It takes something outside of where we're at coming in to change what we have. And what most churches try to do is beautify the experience and thus call it building the kingdom. The kingdom of God is built where men do not see the work. Think about it for a second. Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity. Why? Because he had to be built as a human being. To be able to have the authority as a human to release his kingdom into the earth. It, took a, it takes a human being to release the kingdom of God in the earth. And it still takes a human being to release the kingdom of God in the earth. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Why don't you agree with that? Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Why did he tell us to pray that if he did the entire work and it was all done and finished? The finished work of Christ was to reestablish you as a son of the kingdom so that you could move from that place into building what you should have built before we fell. <laughs> Period. You with me? God does his work, in his, and through his people. If he needed some sort of spirit to build the kingdom of God, he would have never sent his son in the flesh. It takes the flesh of beings to take on the word of God so that the flesh can become the word and the word can build the kingdom of God. That's the order. Why? Here's why. 
Because God didn't build this world for his Holy Spirit. He didn't build it for his son. And he didn't build it for himself. And he didn't build it for the angels. He built it for us. Which means he gave us the power and the authority in the beginning to say, go out, multiply, dominate, subdue, build my kingdom. It's still our job. Which is why Jesus told his disciples after he got up from the dead, he said, go, make disciples of all nations, be fruitful and multiply. The, 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 the agenda was still the same. You go out and do it now. The kingdom of God takes people who understand its ways. Do you understand? Okay. Help me, Lord. Do you understand that the kingdom of God needs Judas? Your Christianity doesn't. In fact, your Christianity does everything in its power to keep Judas from even being present. But the kingdom of God knows how to take the things of hell and use it to magnify the kingdom. You and I need to understand the ways of the kingdom. And we don't. <laughs> See, to us, the kingdom of God is some generic statement we say on church days so that we can get people to give to a building fund or this or that. No, the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Abba and his people. No matter whether we have a building or whether we don't. Whether we're wanderers through life and radically changing the person next to us or we have a society and a community we've created. The life of God established in a human being overrides all darkness around it because of the process it took for that man or woman to undergo and be a kingdom person. Kingdom people never look for the limelight. They never look to be in the front. They're always looking to serve. They have no desire to start ministries. They have no desire to start massive campaigns. They want to serve and find the one. Am I against those things? No. But those things are only lures that usually catch fish that have to be thrown back. Ask yourself how many people you've seen come to conferences before and where'd they, where'd they go? Where'd they go? Right back to the world. Those things are fine. But they're not what God intended. <laughs> Do you realize that most pastors of today would rebuke Jesus for how he ran his ministry? Like when he had his greatest success is when he preached his hardest sermons. Because he wasn't, he didn't, he was not concerned with how many people he had following him. He was concerned with the quality of the people he had following him. <laughs> people think a church is successful because it has lots of people. That's the biggest light of garbage I've ever heard. 
I've pastored for a long time, 25 years. And I've figured out the quality of people is way more important than the quantity. Because if you've got a lot of people with a lot of problems, you ain't getting nothing done. But if you've got a few people who are kingdom people, it only took one to overthrow all of hell. <laughs> we got it backwards. We need a kingdom mind. You with me? See, I've preached for years to two and three people. That's it. Because it's not about the numbers. When everybody else was saying, well, why don't you just quit? Well, the kingdom never quit on me, so I can't quit on the kingdom. See, that's a, that's a Adamic thought to think that it's about you, that if you're not seeing success, you should quit. Well, congratulations, you just made the entirety of God's plan all about you, and if it didn't work, now you're going to exit it just because you're not getting what you want? How selfish is that? The kingdom is bigger than us. It requires us, but it's bigger than us. So I want, I, want to, I want to create some elements here where you understand the kingdom process of what it takes to create a kingdom person. How many of you guys understand that to develop the kingdom reality in people, it takes time? Okay. Nobody wants to hear that. We want an instant anointing. We want that double portion laying on of hands. That's not even biblical how that works. Like people say that, like, well, I want a double portion. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you understand contextually speaking that was Elisha asking Elijah for his anointing? But Elisha faithfully served Elijah for 14 years as a nobody before he even got the right to ask for that? <laughs> double portion. It's hilarious. See, the process of making a kingdom person is a grueling reality of following Jesus. What is God's ultimate agenda? It's to build kingdom people. Why? Because to build kingdom people means automatically the kingdom will be built. Kingdom people can't help but build the kingdom. If you try to preach that message to carnal Christians, you have to continually tell them to build the kingdom because they can't and they won't. So you have to keep telling them to do so. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's like telling a Christian who doesn't want to evangelize that he needs to evangelize. You have to keep telling him because he doesn't want to. Well, guess what? Now you have to use spiritual manipulation to get him to do what he doesn't want to do. God won't even do that. Yeah. See, we use spiritual witchcraft to manipulate people. You know what I figured out? The ones who want to evangelize are going to do it whether you tell them or not. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work with those people, and the rest of them who won't, I'm going to let them sit right where they are because that's exactly what God does. Yeah. Yeah, if you came to this church wanting to hear me fluff you up, I, I, I don't apologize because I have to face God. And compared to him, I don't fear you. Like, he'll throw me in hell. Everybody wants the microphone, but you understand whoever holds this gets double judgment? That scares me. So today, I will put your blood back on your hands. You need the kingdom. Okay. 
let me, uh, let, let's start with the slides. You got those, bro? That first little seed? All right. That happens to be a pumpkin seed. That's all right. We're not talking about pumpkins. But we're talking about what it takes to have the kingdom grow in your life. Every, every, not every time, but many times when Jesus was referring to kingdom principles, he was referring to processional principles. Contextually, he was talking about a process that happens in a system that he has set up and what it takes to get to that point. He even modeled that system himself. He came in as a little baby, a you know, and he grew into what we know him to be today. You understand? That it was not possible for Jesus to fulfill the completion of Scripture and be sacrificed as a child in, in, to save the world. He had to fulfill the prophetic utterances of Scripture and God's plan for his life to be able to be effective in ours. So if that's the case for him, how come it's not the case for you and me? You and I have to fulfill the purpose that God has for our life before we're going to be effective anybody else's. Everybody wants to lead, but they forget the realities that you can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. So if you want to create a double you, and that doesn't scare you, then go ahead and lead people. But if you think that creating two of you would be detrimental to society, then continue to grow up before you, get, before you start leading. Does that make sense? Yeah, it takes time to become a person of God. It takes moments of difficulty where you're pinched. See, because everybody can hide behind the face and the mask of their theology, but when a circumstance hits you right between the eyes, you are really exposed for who you are in that moment, and you cannot hide it. That's why community is dangerous, because if you get around people long enough, eventually somebody's going to rub elbows with you to a way that you're going to like, ooh, that really made me mad. You know, I have people tell me all the time, like, yeah, your preaching doesn't offend me. Like, no, preaching shouldn't offend you, but it's going to offend you when I'm not behind the pulpit staring you in the eyes talking about how you raise your children. Yeah, because society has taught you more how to raise children than the Word of God has. Don't get me started. Whew. I have to... Oh. Society's wrong. Those of you who... Hmm. I'll leave that one alone. All right, so the kingdom has to exist outside of time but it does its greatest work within time. You with me? The kingdom exists outside of time. It always has, it always will. And that's where one day we're, we're going. But it does its greatest work within time. But it takes time to build kingdom people. And it takes process and circumstance to do so. What I've, what I've found after 25 years of pastoring, here's this, is this. Nine times out of ten, People oppose themselves more than the enemy opposes them. See, the enemy is not omnipresent. You guys understand that, right? Everybody always wants to like, oh, the devils are attacking me. There aren't enough devils to attack everybody every day. There's more people than there are devils. Okay? We're still, only one-third of them fell away. <laughs> okay? We still have two-thirds of the angels on our side. 
Now, there's not enough. Everybody wants to blame. No, you're opposing yourself. And that's why the Bible tells leaders, instruct those in meekness that oppose themselves. Because that's what happens. We oppose our kingdom work. We oppose our kingdom life. We oppose our kingdom thinking because we get caught up in the realities of what's going on here. And we try to make that everything. And then we begin to live for another kingdom because we're distracted. And then once we're distracted, the devil doesn't have to attack you anymore. Here's the thing. You can maintain your Christian morality while distracted and still feel like you're accomplishing kingdom principles and you're not. See, because Christianity is not maintain, about maintaining your morality. It's about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit has nothing to do with you eating of your own fruit. It's about others eating from your fruit. You creating something of such substance and value in your life that people are fed by your mere existence. Does this make sense? Okay. All right, so one seed. It has the capability of becoming everything in the DNA form of where it came from, true or not. But is it the true form? Does it bear the fullness of it within itself? Yes. Jesus came in as a little baby. He bore the fullness of God. Yet he hadn't grown into the fullness of man. True or not? He, he had the full capacity to be able to be what he was supposed to be, but he had to grow up into that. True or not? All right. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like unto blah, 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 and he goes on and on in different passages, he talks about many times with seed. He says it's like a sower, right, who sows seed. The sower, the seed is the word of God. Who's the word? Jesus. So that seed comes into our life as a baby, as a seed. It bears the full possibility, capability of recognizing its own DNA and coming up into the version of fruit it came from. You with me? An apple seed can one day, if it undergoes the correct process of time and trials and seasons, it can one day itself be an apple. It can produce apples. But a seed in itself doesn't mean there's fruit present. You with me? Okay. The seed is the word. Words without flesh mean nothing. Think about it. If Jesus hadn't come in the flesh, would he be as valuable to you as he is? No. No, we would still be under an old covenant mindset, begging God to come down like the psalmist What's his name? What's your son's name? What's his name? Who are you? We worship what we do not know. John 4, Jesus is looking at you. You don't even know who you're worshiping. But you're still here every Sunday. You see, you understand this. The fact that the word became flesh made it powerful and real. So this word has to become flesh in our life. That's kingdom reality. So many young people in Christ think that truth is a statement or a revelation. Have you ever seen it? Maybe somebody who just gets off drugs six months ago or whatever, and they maybe ran from God for a long time, but now all of a sudden they've received the forgiveness of the Lord, and they get the fire of God back inside of them, and they feel like they have purpose and destiny, and then they start like, you know, pushing their revelations on everybody, and they're, they're making Facebook posts, you know, um, trying to get everybody to listen to what they're saying. And ironically, six weeks before they changed, they wouldn't have even listened to their own post. But now they're demanding everybody else to listen. 
Are you with me? But yet everybody else was demanding them to listen when they were in their sin, and they wouldn't. And so they think the kingdom is about word, revelation, about teaching, about scripture, about truth. It's not. It's about power. It's about becoming the word that has been given to you. It's about taking in the seed and then letting the process of the kingdom reality go through you in life and time to be able to come up into a point where you shade nations and people eat from your branches. That takes time. Which is why it's dangerous to live your entire life without God and start this process in later parts of your life. Super dangerous. Why? Because God's not going to give you another hundred years to try. He's honored your, your, our escape from him. He honors our running from him. Time is the most valuable thing you have because it takes time to build kingdom people. It took 30 years for Jesus to be ready. And he did it right. He didn't frustrate himself, oppose himself. He didn't elongate his season longer than it should have been. He did everything the Father asked him to do. And it still took him 30 years to prepare. Am I going to say it takes 30 years for you? I don't know. I know this, that if you live 30 years in the gospel, you'll be prepared, every one of those, <laughs> as, you, as you live them. You just will. There is no place of arrival when you're talking about becoming like Jesus. Until you get there. Here, you're always in the process of growth. You're always in a process of transition. You're always in a process of glory to glory, strength to strength, moving from one reality to the next. Always, constantly, consistently. Why? Why? So that you can be a better Christian, so you can feel better about yourself, so you can have better revelation and, and astound people with your wisdom. No, so that Christ can be formed in you. So that people can eat from you and you can begin to go below them and serve them and love them and let them beat on you and you become the sin eater, if you will, in their life and you let them hurt you because you know you can take it. <laughs> Instead of being all bitter and angry and mad because they were the human that you knew themselves to be. Everybody gets upset when, 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 when people actually respond in the carnality that we know they are. It's like, well, wait a minute. I have meetings with people all the time, and they're like, well, they hurt me. I'm like, well, are they Christian? Well, like, well, no. I'm like, well, what'd you expect? <laughs> like, really? And if they say, well, yeah, they're a Christian, I'm like, well, are they a seasoned, mature believer? Well, no. Well, then what do you expect? I've raised my kids before, and man, I'm telling you what, a toddler can be pretty dangerous with a little toy in his hand. Sitting there one day holding my little girl, and all of a sudden she has this little rattle in her face, and I was like, what? Right in the eye. I was like, oh, oh my God, Tila, take her. I'm hurting. Like, I couldn't see. And we're surprised when Christians hurt us. Why? Because you're expecting them to be more like Jesus than you're willing to be yourself. Hmm. Anytime somebody's quote-unquote hurt you and you respond in an Adamic nature, simply put, you're expecting them to be a, great, a bigger Christian than you're willing to be in the moment. We go back to the garden and we start blaming each other again. 
so that somebody's a scapegoat instead of ourselves and having to bear our own guilt and go before God and say, okay, you've exposed in me something that wasn't good, so thank you. Now bring it out. You see, you see what I'm saying? A single seed starts somewhere. The enemy is extremely afraid of this. He's extremely afraid of one single seed because he knows the potential. Potential is not guaranteed, but it's enough to launch an all-out war against this one little thing. What happened when Jesus came as a baby? What did the enemy do? Yeah, see why? Because he knows the power of a single seed. You're not convinced of it yet. Many of you are undervaluing, uh, undervaluing your seed. Because it's not a fruit, you're despising what God has given you. You can only exist in the season God has you in. Go to the next slide. It takes time. But see, here's the thing. The kingdom does its greatest work when men can't see what's happening. Before this ever occurs and this little first little guy pops out of the ground, there's been something going on underneath the soil for a long time. How many of you guys done a garden before and you go out and dig up a seed because it's not growing and you're looking at it like, man, is it still alive, you know? You never ever done that? <laughs> you frustrate the process. I've done horticulture for 20 years. There's certain seeds that take six months to germinate. Six months. I was at a show one time selling a bunch of stuff, you know, plants and things, and this, I had some pawpaw fruits there, which is a plant native to the Ozarks here, and, and I was selling them all, and they're like, man, how'd you get yours to grow? Like, I planted mine, and they never grew, and I'm like, well, how long did you, how long did you uh, plant them? I'm like, how long did you give them? She's like, well, I get them like three months. I'm like, eh, here's three months off. Wait, wait a little longer. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, it takes six to nine months for those things to come out of the ground. See, sometimes it takes time, and you're buried, and it's dark, and it's hard, and you're frustrated, and you wonder what God's doing, and you're trying to get counsel and everything else, and there is no counsel. You just have to wait those seasons out, but you want to hear something different. You're like, well, I don't like what that preacher had to say, so I'm going to go down and, and hear another one. That's what people do. They'll come and talk to me, and I'll tell them exactly where they're at, tell them exactly what's going on in their life. And then, you know what, the next thing I hear, I'm like, well, I talked to so-and-so last week. I talk, and then they go and talk to this person and that person, and then pretty soon they got 15 people speaking into their life over, over something, and now they're confused. Because they're just not willing to wait. They're not trusting that there's a process. They feel, like God, they feel like they have to do something to be able to make it happen. Do you realize that Jesus tells a parable in, in the New Testament? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted a field, right? And, and he went to bed. And he got up and he went to bed. And all of a sudden this stuff grew and he doesn't know how. And the kingdom will grow without you if you don't frustrate it. You think you have to do something. No, you just have to obey when you're told to obey. And when you're not told to obey, what do you have to do? Wait. Well, God's not speaking to me. 
who says he was going to? Like, what, what's the last thing he told you? And then people will tell me what the last thing he told them was. And I'm like, All right, did you do that? Like, yeah, well then, wait. Well, I don't like that. I don't like it either, but I've had to do 25 years of it. So he's not a respecter of persons. You're not going to get, if he starts treating you different, him and I are going to have a talk. <laughs> Serious. It's not fair, right? Wait. And the waiting is the death. But when the death comes, new life comes out. I was talking to somebody the other day, like how, and they were like, how do I hear the Lord? And I'm like, well, first of all, you've got to make sure he's speaking. Because I can get up here and hold the microphone and say nothing, and it's going to be really hard to hear me. Some people are trying to hear when God's not saying nothing. But let me tell you something. When he speaks, you do hear him. You will. He's big enough to make sure you're, you hear him. Now, whether you obey him after that determines whether you frustrate the kingdom being built in your life or not. Does that make sense? All right, go to Matthew chapter 4. Don't put those up there. Uh, don't put the scriptures up there. I'm just going to read them. Go to the next. Go to the next one. All right. So you finally get to this point. This is the most dangerous point in all Christianity. We'll go here in a second. You are no longer a seed. You have growth in your life. You're way farther than you were when you come out of the ground. You got some years behind you. And this is the most dangerous part because this is where you start thinking you know everything. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, man, I got all this revelation, and God's showing me all this stuff. And, and he's like, yeah, but you don't have any fruit. You know what fruit is? It's, it's when you recreate what you are. You actually make a disciple. You actually create somebody that looks like you. I'm not talking about your kids. That's your duty. That's your tithe unto the Lord. That's, that's your duty. When Jesus says go make disciples of all nations, he didn't say go make disciples of your children. People think, well, my ministry is my home. It is, but you have to also understand that your ministry is also the nations. Because, see, God has a home too. And he has kids too. And it's bigger than just your blood. And so if you've never made a disciple in your life, whoo, that's dangerous. Most people have never even led somebody to Jesus, let alone have made a disciple. The last thing that the, our king told us to do before we left was make disciples. That's what he told us to do. And how many people are going to get to heaven and realize they never even fulfilled the last command he gave us? Because we were too concerned about our life and our money and our job and our taxes and our vacation and our this and our work and our this. I mean, we got caught up in the things of the world without fruit. Remember the story? The third seed got sown among thorns. It grew up, had life, it has an insulation against pastoral conviction because, Pastor, I'm growing. Leave me alone. Stop harassing me. I'm different. God's changed my life. I'm no longer a drug addict. I'm a believer. All very good things, but very deceiving things because it's not the end goal that God is after in our life. Next one. There you go. 
How long does it take for an apple seed to go from that to that? See, when you go buy them from the store, they're already five, four or five years old. <laughs> Maybe six. And then they take another four to bear fruit. So when you go down to Home Depot, you're paying somebody for six years worth of, of care to get it to that point. And then you've got to wait another four to five to get fruit off of it. So 10 to 12 years it takes to get to this point. And that's an old tree. See the size of the trunk? That one's probably 20 years old. Everybody wants to be right there immediately. And you're not okay with the process that God's taking you through. And you're trying to get God to change the circumstances, but the circumstances are actually what's going to get you to that point. We're trying to get Judas out of our life when God says, no, you need him to get here. You need a Judas, just don't be one. Matthew chapter 4, you can go ahead and put it up there. Verse 26. <clears throat> Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who should cast the seed into the ground. And he goes to bed and he raises up night and day. And the seed springs forth and grows up. But he doesn't know how. And those people who've walked with God for a long time, and God's done a lot of things in their heart. Many times if they look back on it, they're like, well, how did all that happen? They're like, I have no idea. I mean, I just know it happened. I was hard. I, I, some days I made it. Some days I didn't. Some days I obeyed. Some days I didn't. But the kingdom work had its way in me. The kingdom work had its way in me. See, God doesn't need you. He wants you. When he goes to build his kingdom, he's going to do it inside of you first by his own strength and power. And then he's going to let you begin to help other people come to that same process. Does this make sense? He says, for the earth brings forth fruit of itself. Verse 28. I'm sorry. I did it again. Mark 26. I need to just start writing it all the way out instead of abbreviating it. I did this last, a few months ago. Mark 20, everybody's like, you guys, is he reading from the Bible? <laughs> Only my daughter had the courage to say something. Okay, verse 28 of Mark 4, the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven in a context of growth and how it happens. What he put inside of you will grow if you don't frustrate it. The word of God, the Christ he put inside of you by the Holy Spirit, the DNA of God, the, the New Testament actually says you're born again by the seed of God. That word seed literally means sperm. It literally in the Greek means sperm. What God put inside of you by the Holy Spirit, you were born again the same way Jesus was uh, born, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The same way. The Spirit of God overshadowed Mary 
and brought forth Jesus in the flesh and the Spirit of God through faith and your belief in the Messiah Jesus by grace overshadowed you and put the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead inside of you. What God placed inside of you has its potential to grow on its own if you don't frustrate it. This is why Jesus was so upset with unbelief because unbelief stops and frustrates the natural kingdom order. If people would just believe, even though they don't see, they would naturally see the kingdom start growing inside of them, and they're going to have no idea how it happens. Because it's bigger than us, but it's a part of us. Does this make sense to you? Unbelief stops kingdom growth. Every time you get into a situation where you're trying to change your circumstances, you're actually already come to a point in your life where you're not believing the circumstances were allowed by God. Let me, let me tell you this. Everything that happens in your life that's beyond your ability to control it, guess what? Came from the Lord. Now, he might not have authored some of those things, but he allows them. Why does he do that? Because Christ can be formed in you through those difficulties. No seed, no seed, no fruit you've ever eaten in your life could not have ever gotten to where it was without a time and a season in a process of death when nobody else saw what was going on. Any life you see in any person, any anointing you see on a man or a woman of God. Now I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about charisma and the ability to move a crowd. I'm talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Anytime you see that on somebody, it's because they have been comfortable with being planted in the earth. Seasons of death. Nobody else was there. Nobody was cheering them on. Nobody had the little, it's going to be okay, brother. Literally, they had nothing but to hang on and believe that Abba has a plan. You with me? So God's kingdom work happens in the most secure, isolated places of darkness. But when God sends us there, we start rebuking those things and trying to change our circumstances. The moment Jesus got up out of those baptismal waters, where, where did he go? I want to be led by the Spirit. Okay, guess where you're going to go? What's in the wilderness? That's where the beasts and the devils are. Well, I'm just led by the Spirit, brother. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll pray for you. Because if that's the reality, you're going to be facing a lot of things that are opposite to the kingdom of God. Why? God sends his sons into places where the enemy is occupying what he exists to own. God wants his family back, and he wants his land back. He wants his people back, and he has to send people into to take out the demonic forces that are illegally occupying what his cross purchased for us. But if you have a whole generation of Christianity that's all about themselves, they're not going to go to the wilderness. You know what they're going to do is make a church service parked on the side of the river where the Lord came down. We can get famous if we stay right here. We got the endorsement of God. The heavens have been ripped open. The spirit of the Lord came down. Everybody's repenting. Man, we're getting people baptized. Let's start a church. 
What's Jesus do? He walks away from that entire reality and he goes to a place because if he doesn't go there, you and I can't be free. If you don't fight for somebody other than yourself, you're never going to have a kingdom mind. The places that God's sending you that are forming you into a kingdom reality, he's sending you there not for yourself. He's sending you there so somebody else can eat from your life. And if we spend the entirety of what we're going through about ourselves, it's never going to make sense, and we're never going to have a kingdom mind, and then we're always constantly going to be fighting what God's actually bringing. And then we find out we're actually rebuking God and not the devil. Jesus didn't rebuke the cross away. You know, if we would have been in that situation, we'd be like, oh, brother, I'm just under it. I just feel the demonic forces in my life right now. It's just so heavy. I don't know what to do with it all. I think the Lord really just needs to come through and save me from the situation. Will you pray with me, brother? What, 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 what gave Christianity the thought ever that we're beneath these things? Like just that thought process alone, I hear people say that all the time, but that, just that thought process alone is already indicative of me hearing you say that I'm below these things and not above them, which tells me you're already you're, you're thinking earth. If you ever feel like you, you're being dominated and dictated by the devil, it's because you're not seeing your kingdom reality. It's a simple thought. Whatever the devil brings against you, God can use for you. So why do you fear? Well, it might kill me. Well, then you're free. You're, 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 you're good. You're okay. And if it doesn't kill you, guess what? It's going to make you more like Jesus. So you have that mentality, you can't be stopped. But if you make it about your storm, you're never going to see Jesus in it. Okay? You with me? As long as we don't frustrate God's grace in our life, things will grow. Galatians 2, 21, it says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. <laughs> Paul's like, I make sure not to frustrate God's grace in my life. Many, nine times out of ten when I have ministry meetings with people, it's just them frustrating the grace of God in their life. They're not obeying what God has called them to do. They're not obeying what the word already says. They're not, they're, their eyes are on the flesh. Their eyes are on the problems. You know how many times we try to counsel the problem? You can't counsel demons. They don't listen. You can't medicate them. You can't counsel them. They, they just, they're, they're immune to all that stuff. Hey, that's just my opinion, but if you try to medicate a spirit of depression, all you're doing is dumbing down the host. That's all you're doing. There's a demon behind that thing. I know because I've worked with enough people that have been set free from it, and they're off their pills. <laughs> yes. See, frustrating the grace of God is trying to produce kingdom reality outside of God. Like you taking on the responsibility of doing everything yourself and making this entire thing happen. No, you just need to go through the processes God allows you to go through. You just, you just don't like them. I just don't like them. We don't like them. You understand what I'm saying? Kingdom reality requires growth. It requires time. It requires process. This is why if we can get this in our heads, we begin to value people in our life who have gone before us. This is when we actually, the respect actually comes back to the church. 
instead of this American idealism that we're all our own individual thing and what you believe is fine for you and what I believe is fine for me, which is a bunch of garbage. We actually see people operating on the anointing and the kingdom of heaven and we see the processes of time that they've gone through and the realities of death and processes of resurrection they've gone through. We begin to value that and then we begin to, we begin to surrender our position that we're currently in so that we can maybe see beyond where we're at by somebody else's lens. And he gives context to where we're at, and he gives us direction. I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I should listen. Maybe I should trust a little bit more. Instead of having the American arrogance that I know everything, and I know this, and I know that. Listen, for my current season where I'm at right now, where God has me, I have no clue what's going on. I have no idea. But I know this. I don't have to know. And I'm okay with that now. I didn't used to be. But I'm good with it now. You with me? You go to Matthew 13, 33. Another parable Jesus spoke to them. See, Jesus said to talk to us in ways that we could understand the best way we possibly could because he's trying to explain a realm to us that we have no vocabulary for. There's no thesaurus that's going to be able to unpack what goes on there. If you peeled back the kingdom of heaven and looked inside of it just for a half a second, you'd come back speechless. How do we know? Because Paul saw it. He said, I can't even string words together to tell you what I saw. There's, there's, no, there's no way for me to tell you what I saw. And yet, this guy's very articulate. So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. You guys know what that means? It's yeast. Anybody ever make bread, ladies? Yeah? How much yeast does it take? Not a whole lot. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. How small is it? Yeast is actually microscopic. (laughs) You're just seeing large clumps of microscopic matter. (laughs) It's microscopic. It's extremely small. The kingdom of heaven is like something that's extremely small. Does that remind you of some other parables that Jesus has told before? The kingdom of heaven is like unto this that's really small, like that that's really small. No wonder the church misses it. While we're building bigger things, Jesus is interested in that little lady who's just tossing in her half a cent. We don't value what kingdom values. That's why Paul tells us in the New Testament, you need to make sure that you honor the lesser members of the body. You need to find the people in your church that clean the church and go, man, without you, we're nothing. Yeah? What does it say? The, the last will be, and the will be. Why are we so depressed when we're last? Because we don't have a kingdom mind. If you're last, you'd actually be jumping up and down and go like, oh, man, I'm going to be first. You guys are all screwed. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took. Who's the woman in the the New Testament? It's the Holy Spirit. She took the leaven, right? And hid three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. Three. Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. She put all three of the Godhead inside of us. And guess what? As soon as you ladies bake bread, and as soon as you put that yeast in there, does it rise instantly? Or does it take time? We're talking about risen reality in Christ, risen lifestyle, resurrection thinking. It takes time. It took three days for Jesus to come out of that grave. It takes time until the entire thing is leavened. That's the goal of the kingdom of God. Why? Because when the entire thing is leavened, then guess what? Then you're put into the furnace, you're cooked, and then guess what? Now you can feed multitudes. The goal is not so that you can rise. The goal is that the end process feeds somebody else. What you've went through in that hardship and that trial and that stove and that oven and that waiting and that time now can feed nations. And the enemy is going to say, even if you make it through that entire process, well, you're just one loaf. That's because you forget what he can do with one loaf. It's amazing. See, some of y'all listen to the devil more than you listen to God. This is, this is why the, the enemy opposes kingdom teaching so much. One seed, he's afraid of you getting the reality of God in your life. You with me? All right. I want to go to one last... Uh, well, let, let, let's read this first. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. It says, The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Young believers, people who have just recently repented and come unto the Lord, you need to remember this because you're going to get out there and beat people to death with your revelation, expecting them to change, and they're not going to <laughs> because it takes authority of living a lifestyle to deliver the word in such a way that captivates men's hearts. Jesus spoke in such a way that when his people came to, the people came to arrest him, they wouldn't even do it, and they went back and they're like, man, nobody has ever talked like this, ever. Was it what he said or was it how he said it through the nature which he carried you see what I'm saying? Two people can speak the same message and it have completely two different outcomes. It's true. One person has the ability to move the heart of man. The other one doesn't. What's the difference? It's the authority of the anointing that has been fostered in time and death. I love what Carter Conlon said years ago. He said, you know the difference between the old preacher and the young preacher is? He said that the old preacher has more anointing when he clears his throat to start his sermon than the young preacher has in the entirety of his sermon. <laughs> it's true. I used to not like that. I, I used to not think that. I used to think, well, that's wrong. It's not. I know now that there's times in my life, and I'm still growing, but there's times in my life where I'll say one word, and God begins to break down just certain things in people's lives. And if I'd have said that same word 20 years ago, it would have meant nothing. You can't replace the years. You can't substitute the years. To get fruit, it takes time. The kingdom of heaven is not in word, but in power. What's that mean? Does that mean the ability to perform Signs, wonders, and miracles? No. What it means is, is that the power of the word in your life has had its work so deep that now this kingdom word is not something you know, it's something you are. You don't have to tell yourself to turn the other cheek. It just is the natural 
reaction of your life. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, it says, Hear the parable of the sower. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom. Know what it says? It doesn't say anyone hears the word of God. It doesn't say anyone who hears the word of love. It says, Jesus says, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom. Why? The word of the kingdom is the most powerful, transformative word that will ever be spoken. And once it comes out of the mouth of God, hell makes its entire agenda to fight the entire process the whole way. Like I said the other, the other week, do you realize that 75% of people in this story did not make it? People think, oh man, I go to a good church where the kingdom word is being spoken. It doesn't matter whether the kingdom word is being spoken. It matters whether it's being absorbed. He says, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, that word understands means to put it all together. Immediately, the evil one comes and snatches it away. The devil doesn't care about sermons on stuff. He doesn't care whether you tithe or whether you don't tithe. <laughs> this is a moot point to him. He don't care. He cares whether you start having a change of mind and stop living according to this life and you start seeing things from a different realm. He will incessantly attack the word of the kingdom. A kingdom word, he'll be right there to grab it out of your mind before you walk out of the door because he fears that seed. He snatches it away. That means to, by force, pull it out of you. That's what that word means, to forcefully pull it away from you. I mean, as soon as that word comes, he's right there in your mind, in your heart, your distractions, and he's just, he's just taking it away because we don't see the value. He says, this is those who were sown along the path. Verse 20 says, and those sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word of the kingdom and immediately receives it with joy, Right? Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. Again, the process of time. That word, a while, means for a season. And when tribulation and persecution arise on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Why? Why does tribulation and persecution come? Because, again, he's, the devil sees the word growing. He vehemently attacks it to stop it, to kill it, because he knows that it only takes one tree to change a nation. And so when the persecution arises because of the word of the kingdom and it doesn't make sense and they live according to this life and they're trying to make things... Anybody ever get saved and then you, you start wondering, like, why is everything going wrong? Like, I, I, I mean, I heard what somebody say, I, my life was really great before I got saved. And I'm like, yeah, you weren't an enemy. You worked for darkness, not against it. God's not going to attack you. He's not, <laughs> not going to make your life miserable. You do that on your own. 
But when you start turning, changing teams, you, know, you put a T-shirt on called the kingdom of God, and it's got a bullseye on it. Now you have an enemy. And the guy you worked for before, he's coming after you. He has no root in himself. That root is what is formed before what comes out of the top. And if it's formed very shallow, it has no ability to stand because it has no ability to penetrate darkness and depth to be able to get to where the source of life is. Do you guys understand when you see one of these big, solid, 50, 60-year-old oaks? It's had to push deep to find roots and water. It's had to go through seasons of drought, Right? How do, you, how do you guys think the trees felt over the last 50 days of no rain? Probably sometimes how like you feel. And then you're blaming God for it. But what is it doing really? It's causing the weak to be moved out and it's causing the strong to dig deeper. Jesus will build his kingdom on those he cannot drive away. Jesus doesn't build his kingdom on quitters. He just doesn't. It says, he that endures to the end, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faithfulness in the earth? People who didn't quit because it got hard, because they were persecuted. You with me? It takes time to be established. Next verse 22. And those that were sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, don't confuse the two to be one. Choke out the word, and it proves itself unfruitful. That's that tree there with no fruit. It's the most dangerous place to be as a Christian. Now, if you were to ask my experience level on this after pastoring for as long as I have to see how what time frame these things operate in, that first seed happens instantly as soon as it's snatched away. The second one, that's a, that's a one- to three-year process. My experience tells me that's a one to three year process. That somebody receives the word and like, and like, oh man, brother, they got born again. They're radically saved. They're on fire for God. Oh man, yeah, they're rejoicing. And all of a sudden, three years, five years later, they're like, man, what happened to the dude? Like, I thought they were born again. They're back in the world. They left. They quit. They... See, because we don't see scripture the way it it's, it really is. We think that when somebody has this immediate, like, oh, yeah, they're saved. No. Not until they hang on long enough to have some depth inside of them because they have the right to go back. Just because you get touched by God doesn't mean you've surrendered and submitted to the touch you've received. The Bible says that the reign of God falls on the just and the unjust alike. Everybody experiences God's presence. Just because you experience his presence doesn't mean you're transformed into his nature. <laughs> I can get you wet, but if you go right back out and dry off, you're the same old pig that just got washed, and now you're clean. Does that make sense? The nature is not the same. What's going to happen? You're going to run back back to the pig pen. So this is that 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 session there is like a one to three year process. This session here is anywhere from five to ten years. They stay, they grow. But after a while, you have a hard time with them because they get sucked into their life and making their money and their family and they start having kids. It becomes about them and it becomes about this and it becomes about that and they lose all vision for why they were created new in the first place. And you can't convict them because they've got experience, they've got revelation, they've got study. 
They know the word. They just don't bear fruit. Their whole life's about them. The cares of this life. They make the storms about them, the trials about them, the difficulties about them, their circumstances about them. They, they, it's all about them. Verse 23, he says, But those that were sown on good soil, this is one who hears the word, properly understands it, and he bears fruit and yields, in some cases a hundredfold, in some cases sixtyfold, and in other cases thirtyfold. These are people who go the distance. And they understand that the kingdom of God takes time. And they understand that the circumstances that are in their life are there for a reason. They understand that when the storms come, it's not sometimes because they've done something wrong. It's because God's promoting them to see a better reality. Do you realize that when Jesus sent those guys, you guys ever restore that, right, right? Like, remember the story where Peter walked on the water? And when we, everybody gets caught up in that reality of whether Peter did or didn't, and then he sank in the unbelief. But do you really, most people miss this element of the story. Jesus sent them to where the storm was going to be. He said, go. We get excited when we hear Jesus say, go. Man, God's given me a ministry. He gave me the go to go. I'm all excited. You know, guess what? You're probably going, well, you're walking right into a storm. Yeah. Why does he do that? Because that's the only place where he can show you a greater form of who he is. Because you can't see the Jesus who can walk on water when you're still on the land. Everything that he sends you in life is for the purposes of creating inside of you a greater form of the nature of Jesus and a greater revelation of who he is. And if you didn't have that storm, you wouldn't see him in that way. A kingdom person understands this. And they're not trying to get God to stop the storms. They're looking for the new reality of where Jesus is going to be revealed. Like, oh, there's a storm. Where's he at? He's coming. He's coming. I don't know how, but he's going to be here. See, an immature Christian's, oh, God, please help me, save me from the storm. He's like, man, I sent the storm. You're thinking like the earth. You know, the only reason you're afraid of storms is because you're afraid of losing something that you're going to lose anyway. What if I lose my job? Well, one day you'll lose it anyway. Well, what if I lose my family? Well, one day you'll lose them too. Right? Nobody gets off the planet alive. I don't know who told you that you... Might as well make it good. Might as well look for the king. You can kill me, I'm happy. Because they don't, I know where I'm going. So I might as well live for the kingdom. I might as well develop a kingdom mentality. I might as well stop acting like a victim and start acting like a son. Do you understand how much the devil hates, fears the, the, the word of the kingdom? That he attacks it so vehemently he knocks out 75% of the people who hear? Three out of four people did not hear the word of the kingdom who heard it. I 
I pray those percentages aren't applied in this room. I'm not done with my life. I've got more disciples to make, but praise God, I've made quite a few. And you're like, well, that's because you're a pastor. Do you realize I never asked to be here? Those of you who don't know me, the last thing I wanted to do was start a church. The last thing I wanted to do was pastor it. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst part of the fivefold. It's hard. You deal with people who think they're right but who live their life like hell. Try convincing someone who thinks they're right that they're wrong. You don't get very far. They're drunk on their own opinions and they can fix all of society with their little Facebook posts but their houses and their families are a wreck. The kingdom of God is bigger than our family, it's bigger than our job, it's bigger than our opinions, it's bigger than everything. But I want you to understand this. I want to give you a little bit of encouragement. If you're a seed, be honest with your season. Die. Hide. Let this brokenness happen in your life. The difficulty, the trial. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Know that God has a plan, and if you trust him, he will not leave you in the ground. And when you come out and you begin to establish and show forth growth, people are going to go, what happened to you? But then the devil's going to say, yeah, but you don't have any fruit. And he's telling you that to try to condemn you and get you to quit. But if you're... A little bitty seedling, you can't bear fruit. You're not strong enough yet. You just tell them, well, no, I may not be bearing fruit right now. But you give me a minute, and you're going to know my name. And you're going to fear me and my relationship with the king. And then you're going to grow up and start bearing flowers. And, and then the devil's going to say, see, you still don't have fruit. But you know what? Every fruit... Is a flower before it's a fruit? See, the kingdom person is okay with right where God has them right now. The carnal person is trying to change that reality. The kingdom person knows that the only way forward is to embrace where God has you right now. Say, so, well, I put myself there. Then God can still use it to make Christ formed in you. Well, the devil put me there. Then God can still use it to have Christ formed in you. Well, God put me there. Well, then God can still use that to have Christ formed inside of you. Do you understand that you can't lose unless you get distracted by this life? So stop opposing yourself. Stop being frustrated with where you want to be and start loving where you are and letting the kingdom mentality take you from glory to glory. And so many people are like, well, I don't understand why I'm where I'm at. Who said you were going to? I love what Mother Teresa said to the guy who traveled all the way to India to talk to her. <laughs> That's an expensive plane ticket. 
so frustrated, he'd buy a ticket to India, and he got to her, and he said, I need you to pray for me, please. I'm desperate. <laughs> and she said, okay, what do, you, what do you want me to pray for you about? She, he said, I desperately need clarity. She took a couple steps back, and she said, I will not pray for you for that. And he's just like, what? I came all the way to India. She's like, I'm sorry. But I will not pray for you to have clarity. She said, in the entirety of my entire life, I've never had clarity, only, never once. I've only had faith. <laughs> you're never going to understand the season you're in. You're only going to understand once you get out of it. That's the point. Once you get out of it, now you can instruct people who are behind you who are in it. But if you're not listening to the people who are ahead of you, you're not going to make sense of your own season now. That's why the devil has organized American society to be an individualistic society and not submit to anybody but itself. To do that is to frustrate yourself and never understand why God has you where you're at. You understand? You can stand with me. Let me say this. If you're going to try to spend the rest of your life living as a good Christian, at best, you're going to be frustrated. At best, you're going to be frustrated. Because when you were born again, you were custom made for a kingdom that is coming. And you are not going to fit in here. People aren't going to get you at times. And it's going to be difficult. But if you put the kingdom of God first, everything else in your life will begin to make sense. The best marriages I've ever seen in my life are the ones that put the kingdom of God first. The most financially successful Christian men of God I've ever seen are ones who put the kingdom of God first. The people who have had the best children in their life, the best homes I've ever seen, the most healthy homes, not this gentle parenting garbage, are the ones who put the kingdom of God first. If you do that, your Christianity is going to start making sense. And if you get around people who love God, start watching fruit in their life. It's simple, guys. You go to those who have what you don't have to get what you need. If you see somebody whose kids actually obey like you want yours to, don't fight them on how they raise them. Do it the way they're doing it. Well, I don't agree. That's why your kids are the way they are. Well, mine has a special condition called rebellion. Probably. Nothing new under the sun. The devil has no new tricks, just new generations to try them on. Find people who are and exhibit the life you want to manifest in yours and begin to learn. Let the kingdom grow inside of you. Why does Jesus call us disciples? Why does he say go make disciples? That word disciple means someone who's willing to learn. 
To call yourself a disciple, you first have to admit you don't know. The areas you're going to be most frustrated in your life are the ones you think you do. Ask me how I know that. I frustrated myself for years. Years. And I realized I made this thing way more complicated than what it really is. That Jesus placed people in my life to help me and lead me and teach me. So don't despise where you're at. Understand you're built for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. Can you just do something with me? Pray real quick. If there's something in your life right now where you've realized that you haven't put his kingdom first, you haven't been living kingdom thinking, then just take a second. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to have this massive issue in your life. Just take a second and say, Father, forgive me for not putting your kingdom first. And I don't know how to do that practically, but if you teach me, I'm willing to go. And I ask you to help me and give me grace and not frustrate my race with you. And if you believe that and you want that, God's going to begin to give you opportunities. Just don't think that they're from hell because they're hard. When God sends you a Judas, know that you're about to be promoted. Amen? We thank you, Father. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.